0: From KPFK in Los Angeles, California, Valley Free Radio in Florence, and WMBR in Cambridge, Massachusetts, WNUC in Detroit, and Biketalk.org worldwide, this is Bike Talk.
1: Bike Talk. Welcome to Bike Talk. I'm Taylor Nichols. Hey, Taylor.
2: And I'm Lindsay Sturman. Hey,
1: Lindsay.
2: Hi, Taylor. Hi, Nick.
1: You know, we've been asking for some listener email, and we got a really nice Email this week. Nick, you wanna read that?
0: Yeah, this is from Travis in Milwaukee. And he said, last week on Wednesday, a driver whipped right through his stop sign and slammed into me on my bike. He injured my shoulder back and broke two transverse processed bones in my neck. I was able to apply what I learned in the recent episode with Jim Pokras. One of the great
1: things Jim said was record everything. If you ever get into any kind of you know road altercation, Record it on your phone video if you can, but if you can't, just record the audio so that you have a record of what was said and who said it and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. If you just have your video, even keep it in your pocket and that'll get the audio. Right. So Travis said, while waiting for my x-rays at the emergency room, my wife and I even listened to the episode a second time. I now have video evidence of the crash in addition to pictures of the scene and video taken in the immediate aftermath. The driver was charged with a petty traffic violation, but charged nonetheless. I'm now connected with an attorney who focuses on bike and pedestrian injuries caused by cars. Just wanted to say thank you for empowering me to feel somewhat in control of an out-of-control situation. I love the podcast. You all are the best. I just want to make sure you all know your podcast matters, and it's making a difference. I hope to be back on the bike in time to enjoy some winter bike commuting. Thankfully, in the meantime, I have a bus to help. Happy New Year, Travis in Milwaukee.
1: Oh, that's great. Yeah. Travis, we're really sorry you got hit, but we're glad that you were able to find some way to control, like you said, a very uncontrollable situation.
2: I'm glad that Jim's advice is really
1: helpful. You know, one of the other things he said in that interview was you do not have to take part in a recorded interview with the insurance company. And that's something that really registered with me because I have been involved in traffic crashes, minor ones, thank God, where I have done a recorded interview with the insurance company. And lo and behold, I end up like losing the deal. Like he said, the insurance company is out for one thing, to take in as much money as possible and to give out as little money as possible. Let's do the news. Great.
0: Ted Rogers, who does BikinginLA.com, which has local news to Los Angeles, but also state and international and national bike news, is calling for a forum like they did in 2010 with Mayor Antonio Villargoza, but this time for Mayor Karen Bass. The idea is to listen to bicyclists about the dangers on the streets and the city's failure to address it.
1: This is great because Mayor Bass has made homelessness and, you know, the unhoused population on our streets, one of her main issues in her first year in office. But she has neglected, I think, the road safety crisis that we're in. And we've been talking about this on the show the last couple of weeks. It's its not just Los Angeles, it's New York, it's all over the the country. And I think what Ted's trying to do is just create an open forum where everybody can say their beef about how dangerous our roads are. Mayor Villaraigosa was hit by a taxicab, actually, when he was riding his bike. That's what got him really interested in some road safety issues. But that was 13, 14 years ago, and we are still seeing a rise in traffic violence and deaths on our road.
2: I think it's such a good idea Mayor Bass is, you know, obviously wants to be a leader in these issues. So this could be a really great time because I think once you understand how safety works, it it really just changes how you drive. And once you understand the speed, this is just one of those things where knowledge is power. Once you understand the issue, you're going to only see it one way, in my opinion.
1: And it changes how you see the road, how you drive.
0: Let's talk about the article on NPR from Austin to Anchorage, U.S. Cities opt to ditch their off-street parking minimums.
2: It does feel like we're, um, we're turning a corner on this issue, with the parking mandates.
1: Lindsay, can you explain why getting rid of parking mandates and minimums is important?
2: I'd love to quote People for Bikes, because they had a great article about it, requiring housing or commercial buildings to have a certain number of parking spaces as a parking requirement. It often resulting in fewer homes and less space for playgrounds, gardens, and walking paths that make communities more livable. When parking is required, buildings are forced to spread further and further apart, decreasing an area's walkability and leading to urban sprawl, which swallows more and more land to sustain the same population. This in turn pushes people to drive more up in greenhouse gas emissions. A better investment is a network of protective bike lanes and multi-use paths, since most people only want to bike one or two miles, the more destinations they have in that radius, the better a place becomes for bicycling. And jamming parking into housing distorts it. You end up with parkitecture. And of course, you know this from Henry Garbar. Right. I don't know if he coined the phrase, but he talks about it a lot. So parking mandates, when I first heard about parking mandates in Donald Shoup, of course, he brought it to the world's attention, wrote the, the seminal book, teaches the classes, created almost like a university department around parking. And he's right. It's kind of the key that unlocks housing and leads to better mobility.
1: And Lindsay, just so you know, and so our listeners know, both of those books, The High Cost of Free Parking by Donald Shoup and Paved Paradise by Henry Gabar are on our bookshop.
0: So if you go to biketalk.org, you can get those books And they are both excellent so they eliminated parking requirements in austin texas the npr article quoted some residents one resident said i think our country has used its land wastefully like a drunk lottery winner that squandered their newfound wealth we literally paved paradise and put up a parking lot
1: love that joni mitchell when you see some of these malls around towns or you know big shopping centers or office areas you know, the amount of surface parking is incredible sometimes, and cars very seldom fill it up. You know, we should ask for people to send us pictures of empty mm-hmm. parking lots. Yes. Send us your picture of an empty parking lot near you to Biketalk.org, and we'll post it on our website.
0: Speaking of books, we have we have some authors on the show today. We have Valerie Bowling, who you interviewed.
1: I have two very clear memories of when, one, when my father taught me how to ride, I can still remember... know riding down Ridgewood Drive in Michigan when I first you know got that sense of freedom on a bike and I remember very clearly teaching my children how to ride and Valerie Bowling wrote a book called Together We Ride which is about learning how to ride a bike and it's really a wonderful book and this is a great interview I really had a nice time talking to her. As a way to start the new year, we're trying to get more books on the show and more children's books because it's such a great way to get children invested in exploring their community or riding a bike. And so today on the show, we have author and educator, Valerie Bowling. Valerie, welcome to Bike Talk.
3: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here talking about biking.
1: Well, we're excited to have you. You know, you have a quote early on that I found that says, I write, this is you talking, I write because I want children to feel at home in a book. I want them to smile, laugh, think, and question. Most of all, I want them to celebrate the diverse world in which we live. And that's exactly why we want kids to ride bikes. So thank you so much. What inspired you to write Together We Ride? That's one I wanted to start with.
3: Sure. So that is the book that I actually call my pandemic book. My husband and I were taking walks every day. We're both educators. I actually left at the end of last school year to become a full time author. But at the time, we were both involved in what was called distance learning. So we were still you know, working our school day during the day, and then we'd go for walks after school. And in our neighborhood, of course, there were lots of children outside playing, riding bikes. And in particular, there was a young girl who had learned how to ride a bike, and she was four years old, which is, you know, is on the younger side, learning how to ride a bike. And as her mother said, she's had lots of time to practice. So I actually saw her emerge as a writer. I saw her sort of wobbly at first. And then, you know, within a few weeks, I mean, she would say, look at me and she'd right. she's up on her bike. I thought, why not write a story about children learning to ride a bike? Because it's universal. Most children learn. And I just thought it would be a great topic for a book.
1: Right. Well, that makes me think of the page in the book, Slip, Slide, Tossed Aside.
3: Yes, that does happen. And that's, (laughs) and kids, you know, they really, a lot of kids really connect to that page because they know that that's a part of learning how to ride a bike or even, you know, transferring that to other. you know, new learning experiences that there are times you're going to have fails, but right. you get back up and you keep going.
1: Well, the next page is Hug, Cried. It's really wonderful. It's, it's, um, I don't want to say it's a simple book because it's not. There's only 30 some odd words in the book. Yes. But there's a lot of themes within those 30 words. And I think that's the trick of writing a really good children's
0: book.
3: Thank you for saying that and for bringing up the word count because. That was another thing because it was during the pandemic and we had, you know, we were at home and not having as much time to be with others. It was a great time for me. I really found my writing became a bomb. It was my writing and my walks that really were right. so Important to me. And so, in addition to coming up with the idea for the story, I challenged myself to write the story using as few words as possible and also to have all of the words have the same end rhyme. So, with the exception of one cheat, all of the words also rhyme with ride. Um, And so, in that sense, someone, as you said, could see it as simple. But the thought that goes into you know, using as few words as possible and picking the right words that rhyme and even taking a little poetic license, like there's a word where I use the word goodbye.
1: That's really my favorite page. We teach our children to ride so that they can explore on on their own and take a little bit of self-agency And, you know, give them the ability to roam the neighborhood and and be off on their own. And the page we're talking about is push goodbye. And I think that's the cheat that you were talking about. And that's what we want. You know, we want our kids to grow up and and take off on their own. And that page captures all of that.
3: Oh thank you. And it's interesting I know we're going page by page here but actually that was that is a form of a cheat but because I made up a word but Actually, the real cheat, because goodbye does still rhyme with ride, but it's the next page when, and I love that you used the word agency, because that's where she really has agency, when she's riding on her own, and it's pump fly. And right. it's the one page where you see her by herself. Um, her father is not with her, right. the dog who's been with them, their family dog is not with them in that picture. It is just solely focused on her. And I didn't realize it until I saw the words with the illustrations. I knew that I was cheating when I used fly. And, right. um But when I saw it with the illustrations, I realized this is the climax of the book. And this is her moment. So if you're going to have a cheat, a page where the word doesn't rhyme with ride, this is the page on which it should occur.
1: Right, right. Well, one of the great things about riding a bike is the physical activity, physical exercise, you know, putting out all that energy. Pumping, you know, that's a term we use a lot riding a bike, pump, pump, because your legs are like pistons. And then the feeling you get from that output of energy really is flying. And I think every cyclist that I know, every person who rides to the grocery store or puts on lycra and rides around, you know, town knows that feeling. And to get that feeling at age four or five, as as, as your protagonist in the book does. Sets them up on a lifelong of wanting that feeling. So that's also what I really liked about it.
3: Oh, thank you so much. And that's why I just think it's so important for kids to be outside and to move and to exercise. And you know, I like for them to play with equipment and enjoy things that they can have pretty easily accessible. Like even if you can't afford a bike, I know that there are organizations that will help children get a bike. Or now people purchase so many things online and you can find a used bike. But compared to some of the other um, activities that children engage in and the equipment Uh, and the apparatus they need for that, biking is relatively inexpensive. And it does just give you this sense of freedom that you can get from point A to point B. You can be independent. For a number of children, sometimes their first job is, you know, they're getting there, you know, they're transporting themselves there on their bike, sure. or if they're delivering newspapers, because yes, even though people access news electronically, there are still those who actually like a paper. And I know a number of people, you know, they had a paper route when they were younger, and they did it on their bikes.
1: I had a paper out and I did it on my bike. Yeah. That was my first job. And when I was young, our dog followed me, oh
0: my <laughs> but that God. might be an
1: era gone by. <laughs> <laughs> your last picture of the book is of, and, and again, you've written eight or nine books, I think, and much of them have to do with children exploring the outdoor world, children doing sports, um, Together We Swim is another one, Ride, Roll, Run, Time for Fun is the third. And I think your first book was Let's Dance. Yes. And I just, you know, it's all about activity and movement and taking advantage of your of your surroundings and really getting to know them. And one of the things we talk about, about bikes, is that bikes travel at the perfect speed of observation. So you really get to know your community when you're on a bike. But what I was going to was the last page of the book. There's just one word, and that's ride on the page. But the picture and the, the artwork is really wonderful in the book also is the family riding together and it looks like they're going to the store. The mother has a basket on the back of the bike and it's full of groceries or something. And I only bring this up because a couple of weeks ago, we had a guy on the show who had tweeted about biking and he had gotten a lot of negative comments. And some people said, um, what are you going to do? You know, you're going to ride your bike to the grocery store. And and he kind of laughed at that, like, what an idiotic thing, you know, to ride your bike to the grocery store. And I love that your last page of the book is a family riding their bike to the grocery store.
3: Yeah, it's just, um, first of all, when people say negative things to people online, I, I really believe if you don't have something nice to say, right. just don't say anything at all. You really don't need to comment on it. But yeah, the illustrator Keilani Juanita is so talented and she includes so many details. And I'm actually because you referred to it. I'm looking at the page and it's interesting that you see them going to the grocery store. I see it if you look at the picture, the the cargo, first of all, the little brother who is right. featured in Together We Swim. Right which is the companion book is in a little sort of sidecar attached right. to dad's bike but i see a crate with a blanket in dad's um like a milk crate that basket looks like right a blanket. and then if you look at mom's basket it looks like she's got some goodies in there and something to drink so they might be heading off somewhere for a little a
1: picnic. picnic you're yeah. totally right you're totally, totally right. right and i'm wrong and, you, know, uh, and,
3: you know, it's not even about you being wrong. It's about, and this is what I love about books and particularly picture books and how the illustrations intermingle with the text. Because in all honesty, I didn't look at this that carefully until this moment. And when you said groceries, I'm like, hmm, <laughs> did I miss something? So I opened up the book, which right. I have in front of me, and this is the first time i realize what is actually there and where might they be going as a result so each time the story can change you get something else out of it and that's what an excellent illustrator like kailani does i mean right. kailani's brilliant
1: well, we all see a little bit of what we want to see, I guess. And I wanted to see a family using their bicycles for transportation, not just for fun. But I think you're totally right, they're going on a picnic and what a great way to go on a picnic rather than drive across town, park, and you know, sit by your car. You know, another reason I like your book so much is because so many of the books that I read my children when they were growing up had to do with cars. I'm thinking of, you know, very early book uh, Sheep in a Jeep where it's a bunch of sheep in a car or night driving. And, and you know, they were all wonderful books and I enjoyed reading them, but they were really kind of indoctrinating my children into this world of cars. You know, we have to be in a car to go up a hill. We have to be in a car all the time. And I think that society is changing and our communities have to change. And I think this book is a great way of leading us into that, of teaching children of, no, we can, we can bike to the grocery store. We can you know, go off and bike and explore and find our own world.
3: Absolutely. And you had said earlier that, you know, we're often able to see more on a bike. And I also, the other thing that I love, which I said was the reason I got the inspiration for the book is because of my daily walks. And when you walk, you definitely. See things that you wouldn't see if you're whizzing by. You'll Even right. on a bike, there might be some things that you would miss right. that you would see as you're walking. And sometimes people use their cars to go places where really they could walk.
1: Yeah. And when you walk, you meet your neighbors. And as Jane Jacobs would say, it's eyes on the street. And it yes. makes your neighborhood all the safer because the neighbor is walking by your house and and, you know, greeting your children. You have so many wonderful themes in your books. I'm thinking also of um, ride, roll, run. You know, it's about inclusivity. There's a child in a wheelchair and and a whole bunch of different kinds of children are together as they find fun in sort of rolling and riding and running all around their beautiful neighborhood.
3: Part of being a child is interacting with others face to face learning how to negotiate games, learning right. how the thrill of, if it is a competitive game, winning and the excitement that you accomplish something and also dealing with if you didn't win. How do you deal with that and not be a sore loser? Again, it's about community and being together and just having fun. And there's so much
1: learning, as I said, that goes on. And it's so much of it is about exploring your environment and and that's what we think at bike talk is what riding a bike is about sort of exploring your your environment valerie bowling has written let's dance together we ride together we swim ride roll run time for fun one of my favorite titles is uh bing bop bam time to jam (laughs) she is a crystal kite award winner and a ct book award finalist valerie thank you so much for coming on bike talk and sharing your stories with us
3: Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it.
1: Can you tell us really quick where we can find the books?
3: Sure, so all of my books are, I know it sounds like a commercial, but it's true. They're sold wherever books are sold. So I recommend that you support your local independent bookstore. That's my first choice.
1: Valerie, thanks a lot for being on Bike Talk.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thanks for that interview with Valerie Bowling Taylor. And just so you know, her book, Together We Ride, is on our bookshop page at Biketalk.org.
0: My daughter is learning to ride a bike right now. She's got her, she should be using a balanced bike, but she doesn't like them. She uses training wheels.
1: What's the best way to learn now? Because I certainly learned on training wheels and taught my kids on training wheels. But now everyone says balanced bikes are the way to go.
0: That's what they say. But my daughter doesn't want to hear it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well one thing i learned about being a father is you can't make kids do what you want them to do they're going to do what they want to do
0: but you know one way or another it'll happen our next interview is done by my wife julie and it's with the author of biking with butterflies sarah dykeman who followed the path of the monarchs wow what a trip it's an amazing book uh, but julie does the interview and great.
4: Julie, you know, I looked at a couple interviews that you had done with some other organizations. I was just watching the one you did with PBS, I guess in in Texas, right, about your experience. And it's so enlightening. It's just an incredible journey that you got to go on. And in your book, you talk a little bit about your um, journeys that you've been on, but really what sparked your idea of combining biking and the migration of the Monarch Butterflies?
5: I started as a cyclist. Like I was looking for a fun bicycle tour. I was actually biking from Bolivia to Texas and I was in Mexico and I remembered, oh, the monarchs are there. And I looked on the map on like, my friend and I were biking and we were at the end of our tour. We were pretty exhausted. And then we saw, oh, you, the monarchs live about 10,000 feet above sea level. (laughs) And we thought, man, we don't want to bike 10,000 feet up. (laughs) And it was like late. March or early April and by then most of the monarchs have left but that was enough it was like oh man that would be a fun trip to come back and see the monarchs and then I started learning more about monarchs and like there was just like this moment where I learned that the migration like not one individual monarch but like the leading edge of the migration advances about 60 miles a day in the spring at least the spring portion of their migration and I was like well that's perfect (laughs) 60 miles is the perfect distance, in my opinion, for me on a bike tour. And then I was also trying to connect to schools, and monarchs are already in classrooms. So, like, just everything kind of lined up. And then the more I learned, the more obvious of a choice it was. Like, and I think the most obvious reason is in Mexico, they're in this small little spot, this small little portion of forest. But by the time they get to Texas, it's like literally every road is the route of the Monarch. So I was not confined to a very small area. I could pretty much go where I wanted as long as I was in Texas in the spring and say New York in the summer.
4: That's amazing. I I love this idea that you this ability to connect with schools that are already talking about this topic and then really bringing it home for a lot of kids and showing them that like, you know, this is truly happening in a lot of places in the U S and you can go and be a part of this with biking and following the Monarchs. Was there like a super standout biking moment from your journey and experience with nature and this, you know, your personal reflection?
5: Yeah. I guess if I'm looking at my bike tour through the lens of a bike tour, like by far my favorite part was Mexico. Like I like the challenge. I like the like feeling like I'm on a never before done route even if that's not true like I like I like feeling like I'm like every bend is like unveiling something that I can't really guess what it is and Mexico is just full of that I was on terrible roads (laughs) I just really struggled a lot I walked my bike up a few hills I got lost quite a few times a couple times I just thought is this road even going anywhere Um, but that was my favorite part but I was pretty exhausted yeah, I mean
4: sixty miles I feel like it probably felt really good um at the end of the day, but also very tiring.
5: Yeah, I mean and sixty miles on a when you're doing a bike tour is kind of nothing because if you're going ten miles an hour, which is pretty attainable, that's six hours and you know you've got twelve hours in the day. So you can you can kind of spread that out and take breaks and it if it feels less Scary when you're just—that's what you're. That's your only goal for the day. This
4: kind of a tour could be something that more people could be able to be a part of on a on a larger scale.
5: Yeah, I think bike touring is super accessible, and I think there's lots of different types of bike touring, which makes it even more accessible. You know, we obviously you can stay in hotels or stay in campgrounds, or you can like do what I do, which is I I never once paid to camp. I I really don't like campgrounds. I like finding a little tiny plot of land that isn't looked at as a like potential place to live and then setting up my tent and just going to bed and feeling like kind of hidden and kind of protected and kind of like (laughs) (laughs) like I'm like sneaky like I get home like I'm here no one knows I'm here and it's free to sleep here and there's probably some cool animals somewhere that I can go explore if I'm not too tired. (laughs)
4: In your book, you talk about you um, camped out what looked like an orchard, maybe near somebody's home and you were just about to fall asleep and you heard horse footsteps coming up to you.
5: It was at the very start of the trip. And (laughs) yeah, that was like my second night camping. In Mexico, like the rules of where to camp is quite different than the U.S. Like in the U.S., we have so much more no trespassing, like a no trespassing culture, which irritates me to no end, but that's a conversation for another day probably. <laughs> uh, but in Mexico, that's just not how people see the land. Like the land is a lot more it might be yours, but it, but people, your neighbors can still walk through it and a rando lady can still camp there. So he was probably confused why I was there. Like people oh man, people also think it's crazy to camp a lot oftentimes in Mexico. A quick funny story. Two of my best friends in the world now are in Mexico. Their names are Brianda and Leticia and Brianda was my guide, and she invited me to her house, and her mom is, um, was li- living there too. So I show up, and I'm just like this random lady, and they just took care of me, and now I've stayed with them for probably a cumulative year. And they just told me, I think it was last year, they just told me that because I camped on the way to their house, because it was like a 6,000-foot climb, I had to camp somewhere. And so I camped along the way. They thought that I'd camped because I was running from the police. (laughs) (laughs) And they were so worried that I was like an outlaw. And I'm like, no, I just camped because I was tired. (laughs) And then I was like, that's even more amazing that you still invited me into your house.
4: (laughs) No kidding, the level of trust. I, I love that. Well, I mean, meeting all these amazing people on this trip and this adventure to follow the monarchs, I mean, has it changed? I mean, I imagine it's changed your understanding of the interconnectedness between humans and nature as you're traveling on your bike and not in a car and just meeting people like you mentioned.
5: Yeah, I think the bigger connection that I made was that the monarchs connect us all. Hmm. And like, there is some beautiful, powerful thing that happens when you look at a monarch, we will just say you see a monarch in Texas, and you know that they're Probably they were born maybe somewhere in New York and their grandparents were maybe born somewhere else in the upper Midwest. And then their great, great grandparents maybe were born in Kansas. And then their great, great, great grandparents maybe like overwintered in Mexico. And to think how many people saw these these different generations and to think how many people had to share their yards And give the monarchs the habitat they need so that I could see this monarch in Mexico or this monarch in Texas. And so you start to see how every monarch is connected to like every place and to every person that's working to protect them and and to all these gardens that we have in our yards and schools that give monarchs their needed habitat. And it's just like it's kind of overwhelming and also really beautiful, I think.
4: Absolutely. It's just as a testament to this interdependency that we have on each other, not just as humans, but with nature. We are dependent on nature. What advice do you have for individuals who want to blend like their love for biking, as you
5: did, with um, environmental advocacy? I think you want to do both for the right reasons. Mm. And I think you have to kind of strategize on where you want to give your time. So you could go on a bike tour and I kind of encourage everyone just to do a, a first tour just just for the sake of a tour. Like don't worry about writing a million blogs and taking a million photos and documenting every step. Like just like I, I like the idea of just going on a tour for the sake of a tour. And then you can start to bring in more of these elements. But I feel like if your whole focus is on promoting something, you lose a lot of the biking joy. Maybe if it's only biking, like for me, that can start to feel like not boring, but like unsatisfying. Like I feel like I don't have the same drive if it's just a bike, but I have done probably like 50,000 miles of just for fun biking. So (laughs) I guess take that as result. I think it just has to be something you really want. And so like every blog I wrote, I wrote because I like to write blogs. I just worry sometimes that people are so focused on documenting a trip that they kind of lose sight of like how amazing the trip actually is. I guess my advice is like give yourself permission to not combine them. (laughs) And then if you do like find ways to combine them in, in ways that actually amplify like your joy and like amplify... The trip. And then I guess third is just make connections. So that was how I was able to do this is I reached out to people all of Monarchs and my strategy was go where the energy is. So I, like I said, the Monarchs went everywhere so I could go anywhere. And so since I was trying to bring this advocacy element in, if someone was willing to set up a presentation, to hang flyers up around town, to call the local media, to do all these things that I just personally didn't have time or the connections to do. If I could find someone willing to do that, then I would go a couple hundred miles out of my way because that's how my trip was able to get loud and make a difference. So t- lean on people. I guess that would be my other advice.
4: Yeah, create like a bigger web of people who are going to be involved in your journey, but the
5: journey of the monarchs,
4: which is what your journey was. Was there anything that you had hoped to see or you had expected that didn't happen?
5: I know what to expect from bike tours. And half of that is like just knowing not to have expectations. (laughs) Something will happen and it will be fun or it'll be hard or it'll be both. And like, that's the point. And just being out there is enough. So I rarely make plans or have too many expectations. Other than that, I know it'll work out. I would say that I was expecting probably to see more monarchs, although I can't really remember what my expectation was. I think I was also super terrified that I wouldn't see any. But I kind of like over the course of my tour realized it didn't matter if I saw one or a thousand or 10,000. The point was seeing the people that could help.
4: Mm.
5: And then I think the other biggest surprise for me was how angry I got. (laughs) (laughs) The trip was not like my other trips where I was sort of isolated from the world and was like distracted by the physicality of my trips, like just being too tired to like worry about the world, <laughs> I guess <laughs> that wasn't the case on this trip. It was a little easier physically. And I spent um every second of every day looking at the side of the road from the perspective of a monarch. And what I saw was was truly heartbreaking. Like just many times just on the side of the road, bawling as I'm like watching a mower come by and just cut down the last, the last habitat or the only habitat I'd seen in miles and miles and miles or biking by like just house after house after house in like rural America that has three acres or surrounding them. And they're on their riding lawn mowers every day, hmm. mowing these just giant green disaster zones I mean they're just they're worthless and and just reminding myself because I was falling in love with the monarchs that like that was all the monarchs land and it's just was stolen and every single year it's gets worse Mm. (laughs) and like people would just wave and think well this I like a pretty yard and I'm just Mm. thinking but it's not about that and it's not about you it's about this entire planet and the system and our future. And I just got so mad. It was hard to balance that just deep anger. And writing the book helps. Meeting people helps. Like going to schools and being part of the solution helps. But then also I like, when I finished, I like went backpacking for a month (laughs) and didn't have to like (laughs) see roads or think about it quite as much. Like I, I needed to find that balance a little bit more than I maybe did on my trip. Hmm.
4: The mowed lawns, it's mine. And this idea that doesn't have an impact on the world because it's just your own little area. You're following these beautiful creatures, just witnessing what's happening around them. And I hope that more people are jumping on, it sounds like you've a bigger group of people who are hopefully understanding what's happening now.
5: Yeah, I hope so. And, and even if not, like, I just hope the people that are fighting don't feel quite so alone. And often, like, the work people are doing to take care of their little slice of the earth, like, doesn't really bring them to other people. And like, if you have your garden in your backyard with all your native plants and your milkweed plants, like, it can feel pretty isolating to be in this, mm. like, sea of suburbia. And so I was, like, connecting them and reminding them, like, no, we're part of a big team. And My live by the mantra is all we can do is try. And like if the monarchs go extinct or not the monarchs, but the monarch migration goes extinct, I want to look at generations to come and just tell them I, I just tried. And that's all I want from people older than me, too, is to look at me and say, I tried and I don't see older people fighting enough and I don't see my generation fighting enough. Let's get out there. I'm with you, Sarah. Yeah. People can plant milkweed. They can plant native plants, they can encourage native gardens, they can call their municipalities on the roads they bike and say, hey, like, don't mow right now. It's the middle of summer. Those are their eggs on there. mow late summer or before the monarchs get there. Mowing is actually good, but it has to be done at the right time. And municipalities often get only angry calls about people who see the, the roads as, quote, weedy. And, and so they're mowing to appease those people. So we need to remind them that some people don't see that and we're changing.
4: I see some like renegade monarch habitat signs popping up along highways.
5: Yeah. And some of those aren't even renegade. Like some of them are fully realized as monarchs, the migration becomes more threatened, like steps need to be taken. And some of those are governments like the DOTs. Some of the DOTs are really working. Department of Transportation's are working to create monarch habitat along roadsides. Um, but again, they just need that nudge and that thanks when they're doing it right. I think
4: I will do that in our area. We're in Massachusetts, so there's a lot that we can do to support the monarchs and other creatures. It's been really great talking with you, Sarah.
5: Always happy to talk bikes and butterflies.
0: That was Sarah Dykman, author of Biking with Butterflies. And that
1: was Julie's first interview, right? Welcome, Julie. I saw an article in The Guardian newspaper, we've had a couple of reporters from The Guardian on the show, and I reached out to the subject of this article, and he's called The Bike Whisperer, and he's from Reykjavik, Iceland, and he turned his anger at what was going on in Reykjavik with bike thefts into very positive action, and so it was kind of an uplifting story, even though it's a difficult story, and here it is. In 1998, Robert Redford did the film, The Horse Whisperer. It was about a, a guy who had a special communication skill with horses. And ever since then, people have been coming up with terms for anything that they communicate with, specially the dog whisperer, the cat whisperer, the pet whisperer, the politician whisperer. But finally, we have a bike whisperer. Bias, my Leos, and welcome to Bike Talk. Thank you. Why do they call you the bike whisperer?
6: Uh, I guess it has something to do with the fact that uh, I have been uh, getting, uh, well, finding stolen bikes, and uh, some people started to, uh, like, uh, yeah, in relation to this movie, like The Horse Whisperer, Mm -hmm. I seem to be quite good with bikes, so of course, yeah, I'm the bike whisperer all of a sudden. (laughs) And you're in Reykjavik, Iceland. Yeah, yeah.
1: So when they say that you're good with bikes what do they mean what do you mean?
6: well the fact that uh, for some years when a bike got stolen here people thought to themselves like okay I will never see that bike again let's just forget about it and move on there's suddenly someone who was finding those lost bikes you know people are quite shocked to get their bikes back all wow. of a sudden after... Uh, hearing about like if you if bike is stolen here you will never find it again and and then all of a sudden like there's this guy finding all these bikes you know and yeah how did you find him? Well the thing is uh, I noticed like a, a rise in bike theft uh, in Reykjavik and uh, well you put two and two together and uh, like uh, we have people with uh, drug problems here in Iceland, uh, and like in the rest of the world, I guess. And uh, Hmm. the thing is that uh, when you have a drug problem, you need your next fix, uh, and uh, the bikes are an easy target, you know. What I noticed is like these bikes were piling up outside the homeless shelter, and at first I was just uh, walking past, you know, trying to take photos of this, and uh, I was a little bit... uh, I was afraid of, you know, interacting sure, yeah. with all this, you know, and I decided to just uh, take matters in my own hands. And I saw on Facebook, like someone was uh, posting like uh, this bike was stolen from me and I'm outside the shelter and I see that very bike outside. And I just grab that and contact the owner and, you know, sometimes contact the owner right away, but sometimes return to the police station and then posting it on uh, the Facebook page yeah.
1: we have. So you started a Facebook page for stolen bikes?
6: I started uh, doing my thing in, in a sale group, like uh, bikes for sale, you know, right. because when I was scrolling through that page, it was like bike for sale, bike for sale, stolen, bike, stolen, bike, stolen, bike, bike for sale, bike for sale, stolen, right. bike, stolen bike, stolen, bike,
1: stolen, you know? And you start matching them up. So.
6: Yeah, yeah. yeah, And uh, and then this guy contacts me and tells me like, hey, I actually started the page about stolen bikes uh, and uh, we should switch over to there so people can uh, sell and buy bikes, you know, in peace. <laughs> right. Right.
1: But it sounded like after first being, you know, a little bit, I don't want to say angry or you know, frustrated yeah. at the situation yeah. that that the tables kind of changed and you sort of developed yeah. a different relationship with some of the unhoused yeah. people at the shelter.
6: What yeah, was that? Definitely. So from this one guy, I got like up to 30 bikes, you know, and uh, uh, just to be clear, uh, I'm not a violent man, you know, Uh, the thought of just punching someone is like, I could never do it, you know, I I just couldn't do it, you know, but I can get quite loud (laughs) if I'm upset and angry, you know, and uh, with this guy, I, I, I was like, hey, it's a stolen bike. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. Give me the bag. Ah! You know, stuff right. like that. You know. And then one day, I'm walking down the street and I see him walking towards me. This is downtown Reykjavik. This is a small area. You know.
3: Right.
6: I see these people every day, almost. You know. And uh, I see that he notices me, and he's like, "Ah, oh, damn, that guy." You know. And he crosses the street. You know, uh, to avoid me. And, and I can, I can understand why. Sure. sure. <laughs> and then I thought to myself, okay, uh, you, you tried, uh, to be the angry guy and that, you know, mm, you know, um, let's try something new. So I put my hands in my pocket as a gesture of like, Hey, I'm just calm. I'm relaxed, right. you know, right. and I walk towards him like slowly. <laughs> and, uh, I say to him like, uh, very gently, like, Hey man. Uh, I know we've had our differences, uh, but we just talk peacefully, you know, just try to understand each other here.
1: And Just to be clear, yeah. this was a guy that you had accused of stealing like 30 bikes a couple of days previously,
6: yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, throughout the last weeks, you know, I, I, I had uh, gotten like <laughs> so many bikes from this guy. Mm-hmm. But I thought to myself like, okay, uh, this is a guy who is addicted to drugs. And uh, when you're addicted to drugs, everything we call common sense uh, just is thrown out of the window, you know. So let, let's try to meet him where he is and understand the fact that uh, he is, uh, uh, you know, what would I do if I hadn't eaten in many days? Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. From, from from that point kind of thing, you know. Right. So I would I would definitely steal food. You know, or steal money to get food. You know right. what I mean? Right. And the drugs, uh, they, you know, it's uh,
1: the same thing uh, in many cases.
6: Yeah, you know, it's like you haven't had your fix, and and everything within you screams for the next fix, and 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 there's a bike, and bikes are an easy target, and and I understand, you know. So uh, we start talking, and uh, long story short, he just became my friend, and he starts to help me get stolen bikes back.
1: <laughs> he starts and to help me. Oh, that's yeah, great.
6: yeah. And uh, there was this guy who, like, uh, uh, he had five bikes he had no use for, uh, and he calls me up in uh, the noontime, like, "Hey, I'm going to the shelter with five bikes. Can you meet me there?" And I was like, nah. I'm at work, but uh, I can swing by after work. Yeah, Okay, so he puts the bike out, bikes outside the shelter. After work, I show up there and I'm looking at the bikes. You know, five bikes in a pile outside. Like, okay, okay, cool, cool. Then this guy shows up, and uh, he looks at me like, "Oh, someone's been at it tonight, man." <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, actually, these are not stolen bikes. Oh, they're not stolen. No, this is a gift to you guys. Really, he says. And then he says to me, like, uh, will you be here in five minutes? Yeah, yeah, sure. Just wait here, wait here. He walks away and comes back with a bike. And he says, like, ah, I saw this hidden away close by and uh, I-, I think it's stolen. I think you should just take it, take it you know. Immediately, I thought to myself, okay, I, I think he stole it, but I think right. this kind of moved him, you know, and he, he wants to show his gratitude, you know. Right. And then he says, like, are you doing this for us? Yeah. Wow. That's awesome, man. You know, and he shook my hand and they were so happy that someone was actually caring for them. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the three of us just ended up uh, just talking like good friends for up to an hour. Wow. You know, it was a beautiful thing, you know, and, and, uh, the guy had gotten like 30 bikes from like uh, he went to prison for one year. And uh, when he was about to be released, he calls me, you know, (laughs) and like, Hey, no one wants to pick me up. You know, can you, can you do that? Wow. Sure thing. Sure thing. You know? So, so uh, from being like the angry man that was uh, shouting and it, it turned into like, uh, hey, I want to understand you guys. Can you understand me? Can we meet halfway? Right. You know, Reykjavik's
1: about 140,000 people. And I think you said that the number of stolen bikes has dropped in the last couple of years since you've it been has. doing this. Yeah,
6: yeah. yeah. I, I, I've heard about some dealers that really hate me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> sure.
6: And uh, these two guys I just t- told you about outside the shelter, they both told me that uh, I don't know what's happening, man. The dealers, they they don't want bikes anymore. (laughs)
1: Uh I think I read that that the police often come to you when they need to find a stolen bike.
6: Well, the thing is, uh, people go to the police to report a stolen bike, and then they fill out the report for the insurance company. You know, yeah, yeah, and they fill out the report here for the insurance company, and uh, okay, they do that, and they're like... Uh, nothing else I can do? No, not really. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. There's this guy, uh, the bike whisperer. You heard yeah. about him? <laughs> you should to talk to him, you know. Yeah. So they tell people to talk to me, you know. I dream about having a meeting with uh, the minister of justice. It's like, hey, we need to fix this, you know. Right. Well, there's, I think the
1: idea yeah. of unhoused people having access to bicycles is really important because it can help yeah. them, you know, get to services or possibly even get to jobs. Yeah. I am in Los Angeles. We have an awful lot of unhoused people living on the street in tents and things like that. And you often see a pile of bikes in disrepair at a lot of those sites. And I hate to think that those are stolen bikes because I do think unhoused people need transportation. And in a city as as spread out as Los Angeles, that can be very important.
6: Yeah. But the thing is here, at least here in Reykjavik, it seems to be like... uh, they use it for transportation for a little, little while, and then they trade it in for some drugs, and then sure. they steal something else, you sure. know. Uh, the, the bike theft is mainly about uh, financing, uh, you know. Drug addiction. The drugs, you know.
1: Yeah. yeah.
6: Yeah. Well, do you still have a
1: relationship with uh, one gentleman who who got out of jail?
6: Sadly, no. Oh. Uh, he actually passed away. Oh. Yeah. That's very sad because, uh, you know, he told me, like, uh, I, I, I see in this world, you know, uh, I live in, like, the uh, world of drugs and stuff. When there's a problem, everyone wants, wants to fight. And I'm, I'm always telling them that we just need to talk, you know. So so this was a peacemaker. It was just a very nice guy, actually. Right. Right. You know, and now he's gone. Right. And it's so sad, you know.
1: Well, life on the streets can be very hard.
6: Oh, yes, sure.
1: Let's change subjects really quick. I want to ask you, what is cycling like in Reykjavik? What's the biking world like there?
6: Many people have switched to the bicycle, you know. They maybe still have the car, you know, but uh, at the bike, or some even uh, switch from the car to the bike, you know, especially like the e-bikes. Reykjavik City is really pushing for people to, like, use the bikes or, you know, walk cycle use uh, e-scooters uh, e-bikes or, or bus you know everything instead of the car you know
1: right well yeah. not only are you the bike whisperer but you even called yourself a bike nerd which makes yeah. you welcome on bike talk anytime uh <laughs> yeah one more time what's the name of your facebook page not that many of our listeners will be looking for stolen bikes in Reykjavik but I'm just curious of what yeah. the facebook page
6: is uh, in Iceland, it's sjólaður, O F L, Tapath eða Stólið. so basically bicycle stuff and more. Lost, found, or stolen.
1: That may be tough to find. Basmash, thank you very much for your story and for all your outreach and help with unhoused people and helping people get their bikes back. Thank you for coming mm. on Bike Talk.
6: Thank you. Uh, Can I add just uh, one little thing? Please. What I'm doing is happening because the system here is failing. You know, when it comes to people with drug problems, we have had like uh, up to 100 people in one year die from drug problems. We have very long waiting lists to go to rehab. Mm -hmm. And some of these places are closed during the summer, you know. So what I'm doing, you know, I cannot do this forever, you know? Right.
1: Uh,
6: But I know that uh, the Minister of Justice and uh, of Health, uh, those two, they really need to step up their game. The healthcare system needs to be able to tackle this big problem. And as soon as that is done, I can finally take a break. Right. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) what I'm doing is like... uh, (laughs) It's gotten much attention. It's in the media here in Iceland. And and I want to use that to push for a change, you know, because this is happening because the system here is failing and we can do so much better.
1: Well, thank you for your work and thank you for coming on Bike Talk. Let's hope for a better 2024 on all those issues, on the drugs and on the bike theft and on hopefully yes. some good riding. So
6: Yes, for sure. And
1: Leosen, thanks for being on Bike
0: Talk. Thank you. That was a good story, Taylor. Thank you for bringing us that. He says he wants to have a meeting with the Minister of Justice. Well, what, what he
1: rid- said was he dreams about having a meeting with the Minister of Justice and Health in Reykjavik to address some of these issues. And, you know, we started the show with wanting to have a meeting in a forum with Karen Bass. I hope he gets that meeting and I
0: hope we get our meeting with Karen Bass. Public forum on bike safety. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, we'll see you next time. Ride safe.
7: Hi, this is Stacy with A Bike Thought. Unfortunately, our world has been built around personal motor vehicles. We've given most of our tax dollars to supporting individual driving versus transit, walking and biking. We've given most of the space in our cities to the storage and operation of these vehicles so that drivers might never be slowed or inconvenienced. We've allowed the size of these vehicles to balloon and we've allowed the speed at which they may travel to exceed what humans can survive upon impact. We need to get things back to a healthy equilibrium. We can do this by dropping minimum parking requirements, having mandatory intersection daylighting, no parking within 20 feet of a crosswalk as California has just enacted. We need internal speed limiters, automatic emergency braking, driver monitoring, and event recording like is required of vehicles in Europe. We need our leaders, lawmakers, and judges to see people outside of cars as people who should be protected. We need driver licensing to be tougher and for that privilege to be forfeited if it is abused. If we are to have any hope of children having the freedom to bike, to unpave or unmow paradise so our pollinators stand a chance, we've got to get human driving in check and to balance our transportation options so that we might have our fair share of space and time. This episode of Bike Talk is sponsored by the law offices of Pocras and De Los Reyes with offices in Los Angeles, Bakersfield, and serving all of Southern California.
0: And that was Bike Talk. If you have a story, a tip, or a topic, head over to biketalk.org and send us a message. Talk again next week. just off bike i got yourself a